Hello and welcome. Whoever you are and wherever you are, we're glad to share with you this morning. Our Bible readings this morning are Jeremiah 32, 1-15 and Hebrews 11, 1-12. And today we're thinking about Jeremiah and how he coped in a hard time. Things look bad for Jeremiah. Jerusalem, his home city, was under siege by the armies of Babylon. He was a powerful and terrifying, cruel enemy. King Zedekiah was a weak king who blew hot and cold and rejected good advice. And Jeremiah was in prison for preaching and predicting that the Babylonians would win and would destroy Jerusalem and capture the king and that fighting was pointless. This message now seemed treacherous. Food was running out and Jeremiah was surviving on scraps. Disease was rampant in the city as well, as often in sieges. And panic was widespread. The Babylonian army had already conquered all the surrounding country and ruined the land around Jerusalem. Everyone was selling their village properties for knockdown prices if they could find anyone daft enough to buy. Turn your assets to cash, was the watchword. Get out if you can. So there Jeremiah sits in his prison cell, praying as usual, and God speaks. Your cousin will come and offer to sell you his land in Anathoth. That was Jeremiah's hometown, not far from Jerusalem. It was a priestly town, granted to the descendants of Aaron who served in the temple. Jeremiah would have known that piece of land up in the hills with fantastic views. Under normal circumstances, he would have wanted to buy it. He would have felt responsible to keep the land in the family. But now, what use would it be? Surely it was just a terrible waste of money. But God told him this cousin would offer the land. So when the cousin turned up soon after, Jeremiah knew that this was a word from the Lord. He must buy this plot of land. So he did, even though he was shut up in the prison. He got witnesses and handed over the money and made it all legal and proper. The deeds were not put in a bank vault, but they were stored in sealed clay pots. So everything was done, signed and sealed. And God said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Houses, fields and vineyards will again be bought in this land. But, 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 Jeremiah could hardly make any sense of what he'd just done. Had he been taken for a fool? So he prayed in verse 17. Ah, sovereign Lord, I've, I've had many moments during this pandemic when I've uttered a similar phrase. Lord, what's going on? Why are you allowing this? But Jeremiah does not indulge in any self-pity, disguised as prayer. He allows himself this one sigh and turns immediately to praise. You have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. True prayer always begins with worship, so that we start with a true perspective. 
Remembering that God is the creator reminds us of his great power. Surely God can do anything. The phrase, nothing is too hard for you, is reminiscent of God's reassurance of Abraham and Sarah when God announced the apparently impossible birth of their long-promised son. He does have the power. He made the mountains and rivers and fashioned the amazing beauty which we see all around us. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. It's verse from Isaiah chapter 59 verse 1. But it is not just the power that's at issue here. Is God likely to be so gracious to Israel? Would they ever return to their land? Would life ever return to normal? Jeremiah goes on to consider God's character. The problem was not that God was not loving enough, but the nation of Israel had been too sinful. As we read on in Jeremiah 32, You show love to thousands, but bring the punishment for the parents' sins into the laps of their children after them. Great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord Almighty, great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. Your eyes are open to the ways of all mankind. You reward each person according to their conduct and as their deeds deserve. You gave them this land you had sworn to give to their ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. They came in and took possession of it, but they did not obey you or follow your law. They did not do what you commanded them to do. And so you brought all this disaster upon them. Jeremiah knew all too well that this disaster was well-deserved. He'd spent his life warning about it, and he'd seen little response, other than opposition and attempts to silence him. As we read through the long book of Jeremiah, we sense that he came to share God's own frustration with the people of Israel. Even when they decided to do the right thing, they then changed their minds and returned to their evil ways which they found more convenient or more economically viable. He knew that this punishment by the Babylonians was most certainly coming. He had preached it repeatedly. And yet he had also preached a better future with a new covenant, a new agreement with God. So he prays further. And though the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians, you, sovereign Lord, say to me, Buy the field with silver and have the transaction witnessed. Now this is hardly a prayer at all, yet it serves as a model for us in similar times of perplexity. Jeremiah simply states his difficulty and leaves it with God. Often that is all we can do, and it is always the best thing we can do. We do not need to puzzle out what is going on or to know the next thing that will happen. We don't always need to formulate a particular request. We can simply tell God our trouble, knowing that nothing is too hard for him. And God graciously responded to Jeremiah as we read from verse 40 of the same chapter. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. 
and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. So buying a worthless field in a war zone became a sign of God's good intentions. It was an act of faith in the promised future. This is the faith that Hebrews speaks of in chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Perhaps when you finish reading this or listening to this, you could turn to Jeremiah chapter 32 and read the whole chapter and then read through the whole of Hebrews 11. For a modern day example of faith, I think of George Verwer, who founded Operation Mobilisation and the Ship Ministry, which Ken and I have been connected with over our adult lives. In the 50s and 60s, George was perplexed about how much of the world was still untouched by the gospel. He collected maps to pray over countries where there were hardly any Christians. He prayed over world maps. And he saw how much blue there was on those maps, how many large cities were on the coasts. And God planted the idea of an ocean-going ship full of Christians sailing round the world to take the good news of Jesus Christ. George was still young and he had no big money and knew no Christian seamen, but he shared his dream and got people praying. By the time I joined OM in 1968, there was a small core of qualified crew and a growing fund. The search for a suitable ship began. Ships cost seemingly unbelievable amounts of money. It was my privilege to be part of praying for that ship named Logos and to see God bring it into reality. Ken was one of the original crew and I joined a year later in 1971 when Logos had already sailed around Europe and Africa and was heading to India. Only in eternity will we know the full story of the impact of Logos and the other ships in the group, Doulos, Logos II, and now Logos Hope. Thousands of youngsters around the world have been trained in discipleship and outreach and have tasted multicultural fellowship. Millions have heard the good news and responded. Churches have united and been fired up to send workers out across the world. Many new ministries have been started. Now their major focus is inspiring more people to go and plant churches in the least reached places of the world. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Jeremiah did not think so, and so he bought a field. George Verwer did not think so, and so he bought a ship. Now, how about the Good Shepherd Church? Humanly speaking, we are weak and ageing, and our prospects look bleak for a coronavirus-altered world. We may well say, ah, Sovereign Lord, indeed. 
but God is interested in the future. He is passionate about being made known to the coming generations. Let's dream big and see what he can do. Amen.